Okay, well, again, it's just so great to be with you all. I love Thursday nights, and it's fantastic that we can get together and do this. So I am going to talk about freedom tonight, and I, I'm going to try not to get too deep into it by way of philosophy or theology or whatever and try and make this very relevant. And I'm going to flow on next week out of this message. So it's in two parts. So let's start with a, a very well-known passage, which is uh, John chapter 8, verse 31, 32, where Jesus says, uh, and so, well, let me start with 31. So it says, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you truly are disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So here Jesus makes a clear statement about freedom. Paul speaks quite a lot about freedom as well. And in Galatians 5.13, he says, For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So I want to pick up this topic. And if you pick up any dictionary, most modern day dictionaries will say something to the effect that freedom is the condition of being free from constraint. Uh, and immediately a statement like that is made. Uh, there's a huge challenge to us as disciples of Christ because we have restraints put upon us in all sorts of ways, which the scriptures are so clear of. And I mentioned to start with, uh, this this man, I'm talking about the French philosopher and atheist who was Jean-Paul Sartre, has had a huge impact on the 20th century, not just France and the so-called freedom, but um, all over the world. And he advocated, like the dictionary say, that true freedom required people to break free from all boundaries and absolutes and especially religious ideas. He hated religion. He hated Christianity with a passion. But what is not often said about him, and there's writings of him all over the internet, the libraries are full of books. He wrote many books himself and other things. But here's what's not often said. He considered this freedom to be a curse. He said, there's no blessing in it, it's a curse. He stated that humanity was condemned to be free. And he said, as a result, human existence is pitiful. If we break away from all restraints, which he advocated, he was under sexual freedom and all that, he would love living in today's society with all the rubbish that the world's doing today. He would love it. And um, uh, so he pushed it very hard. But he actually stated this, we would be far better off in this world if there was a power over us that restrained our freedom. And this is, guys, this is hilarious because the world holds up Jean-Paul Sartre and his wife. Sorry, I've just lost her name. I should have looked it up today. The world, but she was a lesser figure than he was. But um, so, so these are brilliant people and, and the way the world considers people brilliant, top of the tree. And he said, this is a terrible thing that we are left to be free. 
and there's nobody who cares enough for us or has enough power to restrain our freedom. That was his statement. And we think, hey, you just didn't look far enough. It was it was right there in front of you all the time, Jean-Paul. It really was. It was and in all your brilliance, you missed this. And so we have to accept, because I, I agree with them, and I'm sure you do too, we have to accept that freedom is not good for us. That's the first thing I want to put up as we're speaking tonight, because freedom's the world's big pursuit. Everybody's after freedom. We have to accept that freedom's not good for us. And the common pursuit of it, often people who are followers of Christ talk about it, comes from a very non-Christian worldview. And I don't want to be too hard on Sartre. He was, wasn't the only one who said it. There was plenty of others around at that time that were aligned with him and all of this. But um, it comes from a non-Christian worldview that many Christians are caught up in. And the truth is only, there's only bondage in any form of freedom. So here's the essence of my message. And I want to pick, pick it up in a greater or a slightly different way next week. But for tonight, we have to choose a yoke. Everybody on this planet must produce or choose to put on a yoke. And true freedom can only be gained if we take off the yoke of the world system. And, and it is a yoke. It absolutely is a yoke and allow ourselves to be yoked with Christ. And we're going to talk about some of that here to, tonight as well. There's a term I don't hear it much used much anymore, but those that are a little bit older of us here on this call will know the term is utopia. And it basically around the 1500s, and I won't go into too much the background of this, but around the 1500s, or the, 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 a lot of the presentation from Christianity at that time was saying God's not interested in the earth. He owns the heavenlies. He's taking us to heaven. So the high old scientific world and, and all of those people thought, right, here's what we're going to do. And Copernicus started this. Galileo was involved in this. I'm, I'm not going to go through all of this with you tonight. But they said, we're going to work out if God's not interested in this world, we're going to work out how this world works and we're going to harness it. And by harnessing the way it works through science and ecology and, you know, we can keep going on, we're going to create a utopia. We're going to build a phenomenal world to live in. So that was very common for 500 years uh, from 1500 on. That was very, very common that we were going to build a utopia. And so all the secular advancements in science and medicine and education and ecology all had this goal in mind. And, and by the way, guys, they did phenomenal things. You know, the hospitals that we have today, the understanding that we have to do, they did phenomenal things. It's like God said at the Tower of Babel, there's nothing that mankind cannot do. They've done phenomenal things. And those of us in the Western world have been greatly benefited, have greatly benefited by a lot of this. But the whole thing that's predominant, it's falling away now in the 
premillennialists have really challenged this now and saying, hey, you guys, the um, experiment that they call modernity has failed. It never worked. But you see, the Bible has always taught something very different, always taught this. Instead of a utopia, the Bible presents the kingdom of God and here's the amazing thing, and, and again, I'm not picking on Jean-Paul Sartre, but seeing we're using his name, it's what he missed. This kingdom's already here. It doesn't have to be created. It doesn't have to be built. And listen to Jesus talking about this in Luke 17, verses 20 to 21, and he says, now having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is or there it is. For behold, the kingdom is in your midst. So Jesus is saying, it's here, guys. I bought it and it's right amongst you. Actually, it even lives within us if we're born again believers of Christ. So the kingdom of God is not some abstract shadow world that exists outside this one, nor is it something that we're building. We don't build it. We can't build it. It can't be touched or built by human hands. Daniel 2, 44, go through a lot of other scriptures. We can't build it. We can't touch it. And so we're not building a better society to take humanity to the future. It's a present reality that comes about through Christ's sacrifice and judgment and death um, at Calvary. But so what we're saying is we can't build it. It's already built. We can't establish it. It's already established, but we express it. And we, when we express it, the world around us changes. Everything gets better. Everything looks different. So the kingdom of God and its present reality can't be improved upon. It's already perfect. The fulfillment of it is not here yet. Jesus is bringing the fulfillment of it, of it back with him in the second coming. But we can express this right now. But one of the key methods the kingdom demands of those who embrace it is transformation. So if we truly touch the kingdom, we cannot remain the same, brothers and sisters. We must be in the process of transformation. And over a period of time, that must be able to be measured. How do we measure it? <laughs> well, you might want to be careful who you choose, but you can ask someone, have I changed much in the last couple of years? And it doesn't mean the way you look, by the way. Um, but, but you can say, you know, how do I measure it? Well, I'm more tolerant of some things. I don't, some of the excesses that I had have been cut away from me. I'm more at peace at a traffic jam. If you really want to go there, I probably shouldn't pick on some of those things because I'm still wrestling with them. But, but the, the fact of the matter is the kingdom of God demands transformation. And what we're trying to do because this kingdom is already here, we are not trying to um, improve society. We are redeeming it. And if we express the kingdom 
it begins to redeem society. I have sat in the living rooms of many couples who love the Lord, who have had marriage problems. And as they begin to embrace the kingdom of God, their marriage transforms. It gets better. The issues get worked out. Light comes on. Revelation comes on. And so what we do as we start to express the principles of the kingdom of God, it changes society. But all we're doing is bringing into play what's already here. We're bringing into play the power. Because, see, we talk about the way of life, and I preach a lot about the way of life Jesus calls us to have, and I make no apology for doing that. But if we're really going to get literal, we've got to understand that Jesus didn't offer us a new social theory or a religion or a way of life. And this is stunning, guys. He offered us himself. He says, I'll come to you. You want me? You want the kingdom of God? You want a better way of life? You can't get to me, but I will get to you. And further than that, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, I will come and live within you. We can't get closer to the Lord than that. And as I live within you, I will start to bring about transformation in your life and in your marriage and in your job and in everything else you're handling and the things that you're wrestling with. So this new way of life that Jesus offered us is all about him. And on, on receiving him, we get released from our sin. We're forgiven immediately. And then this process of transformation begins to take place. And, you know, this is the only time, and this is another message in itself. So let me just say this. This is the only time, guys, we can risk becoming fully human. You can't risk becoming fully human unless you're in the protection of a loving God. Society will destroy you. You can't put all your barriers down. You can't put all your defenses down. You won't survive. Every one of us have got walls and barriers and defenses and things that we have built around us to survive this world. And the only way we can get rid of them is if we're in Christ. Because then he says, now I'm taking control of your life. And remember, we said last week, we are meant to celebrate the fact that we have lack of control when we surrender our life to Jesus. But without that, we cannot be fully human because fully human puts all our trust in a living God. And that's the only way that we can do that. And this is what Jesus is meaning in John chapter right when he's saying if you abide in my word you'll know the truth and the truth shall set you free and uh, you know this is a good study in john chapter 8 he's talking to the jewish people and they're saying hey we're the chosen people of god we're free and he's saying no you're not that's not enough that can't bring you freedom so freedom can only be found as we identify not only with Christ's death and resurrection, but if we identify with the fact that we're going to die to the whole world order. You see, even the old covenant had to be put down and put to death. 
So we are left naked and vulnerable and then the hands of the living God wrap themselves around us and then promise us, us we could go to dozens of scriptures, but Romans 8, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, nothing can separate yourself from me. It's only at that place that we can be free because we don't need to look after ourselves. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, I am now going to govern everything that comes at your life and i am never going to let anything overcome you that you can't handle i'll either create a way of escape or i'll give you the power to handle it now i've been through a lot of stuff that i thought i could never handle but i'm still here somehow god got me through and at times it didn't always feel like it but i'm still here and you, some of you guys have been friends of mine for more years now than we can go back. You're still here. God's never left you nor forsaken you. And you've been through some tough times. We've cried some tears together, but you're still here. We cannot get free. We cannot afford to let our guard down unless we're in Christ because we won't survive. And that's why all everybody in the world system has barriers and things around them and various ways of trying to get through life. So, and this is what Matthew 5 is all about. It illustrates the type of behavior that enables the kingdom God to be kingdom of God to be seen because it said it's a way of living, it's a culture, and it's a standard of behavior that we go and apply to every arena of life and to whatever degree we're able to apply it, everything changes. And many of you, people have led people to the Lord. People have counseled people, helped people. You see these changes and you think, my gosh, the power in that. I, we were at a meeting um, many, many years ago in Cairns, Peter, you'll remember, I think we did two or three meetings up there. But I can remember we were in a meeting in Cairns. And um, I'm going to be careful because these messages go everywhere and I would never embarrass anyone. But on this particular night, Vanessa and I had a ministry of deliverance with a particular woman and it was massive the stuff that was involved and everything like that was massive. Now, I would never tell you a lie, I promised you. So we went away and we finished and we knew she had been remarkably set free. It was phenomenal the way the Lord set her free. So we come get up in that morning and we're standing in the line for breakfast and this woman's already got a breakfast and she walks past us and said, hi, Vanessa. Hi, Bruce. How are you guys doing? And, I said, oh, great. And I said to Vanessa, this is serious. Who's she? I, I don't know her. And she said, Bruce, that's who we ministered to last night. I said, you're kidding. The change in her countenance was beyond anything I could ever describe to you. I did not, now women are far more discerning than men, than most of us, so that I did not recognize her. And we'd just spent two hours with her the night before. And I said to Vanessa, who's that? And this is the power that comes from the kingdom of God. We don't have to build this power up. It's already there. But when it comes inside of us, it causes a major change. And that's why we never have to despair of hope. 
because the power is already here. We just have to learn how to access it. So let me, otherwise we weren't going to go too long. So let me come back. I want to come back to the yoke. So in Matthew 11, Jesus makes the statement. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. This is Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus doesn't call us to material wealth or prosperity, or health, or well-being, or all those wonderful things, and most of us have them, none of us are against them, but he calls us to leave everything and come to him, and in this sense, we are not coming to a movement, a religion, or a philosophy, we're coming to a person, the living God, Jesus Christ, and it is here where Jesus says, I will give you rest. So it's not like a parcel that you get on Christmas Day and you unwrap it and you get this great present, whatever it may be. Uh, he's offering us active participation with God in the process and journey of life. And he is saying, this is what you were designed for. All of us are going to have different purposes, different roles, different seasons, different times. But he is saying, when I bring you into this, and you put on this yoke with me, you are going to find your design, your purpose for being in life. You're going to encounter the living God and you're going to find rest. And it's the only rest you'll find. I like what the Amplified Version actually says in this. It reads, let me read this to you. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavily laden and overburdened, and I will cause you to rest. I will ease and relieve and refresh your souls so how do we find this rest call it freedom if you want we've got to take a yoke upon ourselves we've got to pull down a yoke upon ourselves now most of us aren't old enough i know in new zealand and australia there's still plenty of farming communities but most of us don't see a yoke anymore but so when we hear people talking about it, the view I normally get is two oxen that are walking along the road and they're yoked together. And the yoke is a symbol of hard work. You think, look at those poor things stuck in this big wooden thing hung over their neck. But what the yoke does is put two animals together and it combines their unity and their step with one another. And when yoked together, these two animals don't double their power. The power is increased exponentially. It doesn't go up twice. It goes up X amount of percent. And I'm sorry, I don't know the figures. Somebody cleverer than me will. But wearing a yoke and Jesus saying, this is what we have to do to find freedom is our antidote for being weary and tired and worn down in life and overburdened um, because in all the normal situations we'd want to get out of the yoke and go and rest in the barn and eat straw or whatever oxen eat but you see the point Jesus is making is everyone's in a yoke 
every single person on this planet wears a yoke. Bob Dylan years ago sang a song. He had a period where he's a born again believer. He's now gone right into Judaism, but uh, he sang a song and the song was, you have to serve somebody. Who is it you're going to serve? Everybody is serving somebody. They might be serving work or money or alcohol or drugs or whatever, but everybody is serving somebody. And Jesus has seen this and saying, you can't live in this life without wearing a yoke. So whose yoke are you wearing? And the invitation he extends to us is, hey, come and be yoked with me. And he's telling us that the reason we get so weary is because we are wearing the wrong yokes. They've never been designed for us. And if you put an oxen with a horse, it is horrible for both animals. They can't get into step together. They can't get into the right position together. They're, because they're physically designed so differently, they can't work together. So the power of them both is greatly dis diminished. It's pulled down. Neither the oxen or the horse, if you put them in the same yoke, can perform anywhere near like it can on its own. Can't get anywhere near it. And Jesus is saying, this is the way the people in the world are yoked. So he's saying, if you come and exchange that, take that yoke off and come and put on the yoke with me, you'll be walking in harmony with your design on this earth in relationship with the living God. And he's saying, it's beautiful. It's fat. Is there suffering in it? Yes. Are there difficulties in it? Yes. Are there disappointments in it? Yes. All these things in a fallen world, all these things are here. Yes, everyone faces them. But he's saying, now you're walking in the yoke. Now you're doing what you were meant to be doing with whom you were meant to be doing it with. And that's him, obviously. And then he will connect you. If you're called to be married, he'll connect you with your spouse. He'll connect you with the people he wants you to be friends with. He'll connect you with the people he wants you to work with. Because he's saying all of this is locked into this yoke. But unless you put it on, you're not going to find these things. You won't find them. So he's promising that if we exchange the yokes that we are currently bearing for his yoke, we'll find rest for our souls. And again, reading out of the Amplified, it says this, for my yoke is wholesome, useful, good, not harsh, not hard, not sharp or pressing, but comfortable, gracious and pleasant. And my burden is light and easy to be borne. I love that. It's beautiful what it suggests. And um, here's the point, and this is where I'm going as I finish. Jesus wears a yoke. Jesus himself is yoked. And he calls us to put that yoke he's wearing on with him. And he's worn this yoke from before creation, before taking on our flesh and blood. When God created the universe, he said he had to create a Messiah to come and pay the price for what humans were doing. And Jesus has been wearing that yoke ever since. And he wore it during his time on this earth. He wore it from Bethlehem where he was born to Calvary where he died. And he even wears it at this very moment. 
So the yoke he's calling us into is his yoked relationship with the Father. And he's saying, I'm yoked. I'm yoked with the Father. I only do what I see the Father doing. I only work where I see the Father working. Me and the Father, and obviously the power of the Holy Spirit, we're all yoked together. We walk in perfect harmony. Come and put this yoke on, and you'll be in here with us. And you'll be working with us. And you'll be producing the will of the Father. And you'll be in the inner circle, if you want to call it that, doing this. So we're called to come and be yoked in the same relationship that Jesus experiences with the father, and which is that of a son or a daughter. And this is the engine room where the power comes from. This is where Jesus draws his identity and purpose. This is where he gets the affirmation of his father, behold, this this is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. And this is where he gets God's bidding for the day or the week. And this is where, and it comes back to us, we're refreshed and revived. And the other thing I want to say about the yoke, God says this earth and this kingdom, everywhere it's going to be expressed is my burden, not yours. So I'm going to take you into the yoke for a period of time. Then I'm going to release you from it and say, go and lie down and rest beside the green pastures and the still waters because I'm carrying the burden of this thing. I just bring you into it for your calling and your life, but it's not to sit and rest on you in its entirety. That's my job. That's what I do. So you can take a rest even when wars are ravaging and COVID's going on and everything else. God's saying, when you do what I've called you to do, I'll release you from the yoke to go and then be refreshed and revived and be ready to I pick it up with you again so the ultimate yoke which we'll talk about sometime is sonship and inheritance and the kingdom of God now if we can grab hold of this principle suddenly the kingdom of God becomes within our reach Suddenly his yoke is easy and his burden is light and life is not such a major pressure to us despite all its challenges. And the freedom that comes <laughs> is not the freedom of restraints. Mr. Sartre, you were right. To be free from restraints is hell. Sorry to say that. He called it and he's, he was right. It's not being free from restraints. But it, the very restraints that we're put under bring us life and protect us from death. And that's the beautiful thing about all of this, because now we're living by God's design. And that is what the true definition of freedom is. Why? Because whatever we do, however humble we consider it to be, if we do it in obedience to God, if it's the will of the Father, he'll put it into the context of the kingdom and it will produce life. It will express itself and produce life. And, you know, Mark 4 talks about the mustard seed. It says, you know, if you just sow these tiny seeds, if you've sown them out of the yoke with Christ, out of the power of God, they're going to spring up and produce great life. And, all of you, I believe, you're in for a big shock, guys. All of you, when you get before the Lord at the end of the age and you see what some of your mustard seeds have done. 
and you're not going there for the father of a hiding you're going to go there and the lord would is going to say well done good and faithful servant and you're going to say i didn't do that he'll say yes you did absolutely you did you sowed the mustard seed and it grew into a great tree and produced all of this life yes you did and i'm rewarding you for it this is going to happen I can get into 1 Corinthians 3 and all sorts of other passages and talk to you about this, but right now I need to finish. So I want to say this. Whatever you have to offer, whatever you have to bring, whatever you can do, bring it to the yoke with Christ and you will play a very powerful role in revealing the kingdom of God to a lost world and this is the only shot anyone on this planet has and it's to experience freedom. So thank you. God bless you. Back to you, Peter.